Hello and welcome to very exciting, the inaugural episode of the You Matter podcast. Welcome back to You Matter. So today, as well as setting the scene and letting you know what kind of things you can expect from the podcast, I'll be interviewing none other than Jack Chu, because one of my clear aims for the podcast is to conduct brave, open conversations that maybe sometimes go to areas where there's disagreement and maybe a little bit of discomfort. Um, And what a perfect guest, (laughs) Jack, as you know, is not shy of entering those kind of debates. So let's see how we get on. Please do go and find us on social media. You can follow us on, I think it's seven platforms now. And if you're on iTunes, then please do give us a five-star rating. I'll be back at the end for a quick roundup. Hello and welcome to what is really the setting the scene episode for my new podcast, You Matter. So what I thought might be sensible is to let you know what you can expect from You Matter and why it will be relevant to you. So really, You Matter has two aims. Firstly, to support the welfare of clinicians. And secondly, to be a small part of the not small job of pushing our profession forward. And I'm really excited that uh, You Matter might be a part of both those processes because I personally believe they're hugely interlinked. You're not going to get the profession moving forward if we don't focus on the well-being of clinicians. So this process started a long time ago for me, but about six months ago, I contacted Jack Chu, who's sitting here next to me, and we started having a conversation around topics of self-care and self-compassion and burnout. And it was a, it was an hour and a half conversation. It was, it was brilliant um, and could have gone on for two and a half hours, I'm sure. And um, Jack, at this point, perhaps you could let me know, what was it that grabbed you at that moment and piqued your interest? Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a fascinating conversation. It don't feel six months ago, uh, but lots happened since, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the big thing was for me that it, it felt like your, your project, your outlook and your passion for well, your, both your analysis and your proposed solutions in this space with something that we've been reaching and touching on now and again with some of our other work but never for long enough we've never lingered there long enough to really make the meaningful difference that we want to and never been able to sort of speak compassionately to the circumstances that clinicians are in some mm. of our work people recognize themselves in but it's never been really focused enough around them it's naturally and understandably we've been concentrating on the patients putting the patients first etc on the clinical reasoning side that makes sense individualized patient care but sometimes that the, the clinician's out well-being doesn't really sit well in that always However, at this moment in time, we're speaking in the, you know, at that point, especially in the depths of the pandemic, it was so, so clear that that was a real vulnerable point in the industry. And so your work really spoke to something that we've been struggling to. And therefore, you know, we, we then worked out that there was such compatibility of values that a collaboration would be perfect and that you matter would fit so well amongst the family of other work that we do. And therefore, to, to do that as a true collaboration and to nest it within our other clinical and educational podcasts. Yeah, and, and it's a really good point. I think there's few people that would actually argue against the um, the wisdom of bringing self-care into healthcare. But it's actually, when you start looking at it, it's not the easiest 
thing to marry, is it? There, there's resistance. There are problems with wording and um, preconceived ideas. And this is something we're going to touch on later. But um, I, I was really excited to um, to kind of see the light of maybe finding a way through that conundrum. That's what excited me. Yeah. So um, just to let those of you uh, listening know, um, there's a reason, there is a particular reason that I got Jack here today. So I think UMATA will be an ideal platform for all sorts of things. Um, first off, it will be really important to tease out what genuinely is important to you guys. So I can have my opinions based on my 20 years experience of struggles I've had, struggles I've witnessed other clinicians having over this time. But at the end of the day, I think what's really important is to find out in a comprehensive and diverse way what is going on for you guys. What are you struggling with? What do you love? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? What do you absolutely adore about your profession? And, and what do you hate? Let's really get these things out in the open. It will also be a really good chance to pick apart some headline topics, things like burnout, imposter syndrome, uh, identity problems, vulnerability, Words that are banded around hugely at the moment, but I, th I think it's really worth spending some time on those and really making sure we understand what they mean to us as clinicians, as opposed to perhaps in the general population. The third aim, and this one is really dear to my heart, is that it's a platform for somewhere where we can have really honest, brave, open conversations. Now, I talk about this a lot, and Jack actually talks about it in terms of getting all the cards out on the table this your face, isn't it, Jack? Um, but sometimes it's easier to talk about than actually do. And I'm really determined that that happens on this site because I don't believe that we're going to move forward as a profession on some of these sticky top topics, some of the places we got stuck in rather ideological stalemates. I don't think we're going to move on unless we're brave enough to actually get into these conversations, stay with them when they get that uncomfortable, and then see if we can move through them. So Jack and I have had lots and lots of conversations and have to say for the most part we agree on an awful lot of things but there are what I've come to think of as our edges so if you like the extremes of what Jack might represent and the extremes of what I might represent um, and we've touched in those areas occasionally in the past and I think we've kind of sometimes gone into them a bit and then politely withdrawn so this episode is an unashamed determination to go into those edges to stay with them and see if we can come out the other side so if it all goes blank and quiet, you'll know that we failed miserably and one of us has just um, pressed stop and run out of the room, but I'm sure we'll end up there. So Jack, how's that sound to you? Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to feign surprise. I'd be like, Joe, you snuck me in here. I didn't expect that. <laughs> yes, we I have consented to that and uh, I look forward to getting into said edges. I think one of the things that naturally comes with the, the more conversation that you have, the more comfort you have with someone, then you're naturally going to be able to weigh in on those things that maybe there are differences of opinion on, but be able to have them out sensibly. And what you're trying to create is a, a platform in which we can be bold and be brave, but also in a, a safe space. So yeah, really looking forward to it and being your uh, guinea pig for want of a better Excellent. Well, let's go with a perhaps perhaps not the most controversial topic, but I think possibly on the first chewing over I ever did with you, Jack, um, you threw in literally in the last 30 seconds, did I think stoicism, there was ever a place for stoicism? Um, and I think, I don't think I really answered it. I said something like, yes, possibly, but not as a default <laughs> method to rely on. More of, a, more of a 40 second answer that's required rather than a 30 second answer. Yeah, I think so. One. But it made me think afterwards. Cool. So um, 
I've got my views on what stoicism means, and I know there are lots of different interpretations of that. So before I preempt anything, Jack, can you tell me what your interpretation of stoicism is? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, in that instance, and actually the thing that stoicism elicits in me is is twofold. One is almost as an academic interest. Um, I've studied Stoicism as a philosophy, um, mm. the meditations of Marcus Aurelius and others, um, the sort of classic texts in a, in a way that offer a Stoicism as philosophy. And then there's this sort of what we consider to be Stoic behaviour, especially uh, there's, there's something that's funnily interlinked with sort of Britishness of a sort, right? There's, mm. a, there's a stiff upper lip sort of uh, mentality that's often described as being Stoic or, or that we would ascribe to people's personality types, et cetera, as Stoic. And those things naturally overlap, those two things I'm mentioning. But um, th- there is sometimes a relevant distinction because sometimes it's sort of banded around. And, and, and typically... Um, I think my my interests and and certainly the way in which I find myself using the word most or thinking about the word and how it might apply to my identity is certainly in that Marcus Aurelius's meditations type situation. And I think that, that generally speaking, it's um, for me a, a matter of how how we might handle. I suppose at its at its core, I, I can't help but give a bit of an analysis, a conclusion of an analysis, almost really for what it means to me, which is is certainly how how we handle the things that that can't necessarily be in our control and right. fundamentally that's what it meant a lot to me now that's my reading of it of course and, and a lot of reading that's been um but generally speaking it's that ability to sort of um to 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 be be unflappable and and be someone that then is not necessarily then always allowing themselves to indulge the the visceral emotions that might emerge having that bit of poise having that bit of calm um and, and not necessarily uh, always allowing that to drive down sometimes really interesting emotions that can emerge but just having that ability to to stay rational and level headed especially in the work that I'm in I find myself leaning into what would be considered philosophical stoicism because I feel like that is sort of an appropriate thing for a chat show host or a presenter mm. or a moderator of debate, etc., to be. And so whilst I don't want to overindulge that side of me, I find it to be a really useful thing. Yeah. So, yes, I, I thought you might be referring to some of the um, the stoics as a, as a sort of group. And it's sort of like a fatalistic um, methodology, isn't it? Accepting what you can't change. Um, so there's a few questions that come out of that. So I can picture what you're saying. Um, and most people listening are obviously not chat show hosts, but will be able to picture themselves in front of a patient. And not just that, but maybe being with a patient or having to have a conversation with a colleague or maybe someone they perceive as superior or something like that. And yet I can see there's that um that kind of inner calm isn't that I think that's what you're referring to um would you say that you find that a very easy place to go to or does that require conscious effort and energy for you to to shift into that mode hugely context specific on me for that sorry with me for that um Mm -hmm. because sometimes it's almost automatic and and sometimes it is you know you need to to bite your tongue Mm. now 
that's something to say that you know you, you're poking already at, at something that I want to make sure I put in play is that I can see how it can become pathological in any individual and as if taken to the nth degree and especially if someone is fighting it like their disposition is otherwise mm. they are then trying to lift that in almost as a retrofit methodology of how to interact I think it's it's false it's not smart you're suppressing lots of things I think it would contribute to burnout and the other things I'm sure will come to um, but generally in, in me honestly I think in some circumstances that just does feel like my my natural disposition especially when it comes to trying to elicit information cards on the table being my, my job and I feel like that in, in patients as well really with regards to subjectively assessing someone sometimes you're sitting down with someone and for various reasons sometimes good or bad and sometimes various different faults and causes of fault at play they're being somewhat in that moment obnoxious mm-hmm. and you're needing to sit in front of them and try and elicit information that might help you to help them and try to build a rapport again in challenging circumstances. In those those instances, it's quite natural for me to be what would be considered stoic because it's something that I'm, I'm just I'm so far from hot headed in that in that moment. Whereas in certain conflicts that can occur, especially interprofessionally, especially when it's something that I'm particularly passionate about, then that's where my blood can boil and, 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 and tempers can run high. And that sometimes I think maybe I'm over suppressing some emotions of which um, this, this the veneer of professionalism that is assumed that sometimes takes the edge off people's character and personality in such a way. Now, it's amusing because some people would suggest that I don't do that enough. You know, some people have inferred and continue to infer that there's a lot of unprofessional behaviour that comes from me allowing the personal to mix with the professional, allowing my sense of humour to come out in various different contexts. Some people just don't think that that's proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, people, you know, I, I do accept that the context matters to these things and that I don't always toe a line that's sort of in keeping with what I'm describing. Yeah, no, and I think, um, again, taking it back to the clinical scenario, I think it's a real dance that we have to um, engage in most of the time. And I mean, gosh, I'm a long time into my career now, but I can almost remember learning to play the role and not expressing it, but being completely aware that that's what was happening. Um, And these days I often consider, so my husband has never seen me with a patient or to teach a class or anything like that. And I often get this thought, would Ian totally recognize that person Um, and he wouldn't because it's slightly different it's it's authentic Joe being a physio but it's definitely a persona and like you I don't find it consciously difficult to to go into that calm mode and I think it's partly respect for the patient and the scenario and whoever you're with but let's just say for a moment there was there was a person with a predisposition more along the lines of what you've just indicated that some people don't find it easy and natural you could you could suppose that there's kind of a chronic stressor going on there so there's a you're you're having to either suppress or maybe sometimes even build yourself up to be in that situation and part of self-care in my world would be to process that afterwards so do throwing it back to you are you are you someone that needs to decompress after being in that mode for a long time um, I mean, say you had been in a, say you'd done a really long, complex clinic and you'd had to be in that professional, let's call it stoic mode for, or, you know, maybe back in your NHS days and really stressful situation on wards and everything like that. Would you be someone that would ever consciously then go, okay, I can feel the, the stress of that situation or the pressure build up. Now I need to go and decompress it. Yeah, it, it's, you, you're right to, to hark back to my NHS time, which isn't that long ago, um, because in the current moment, 
in my in private practice with my name above a door and the context that that comes with, then you're less likely to be in that situation because mm. you've got less pressures changing your uh, identity and, and things. So you're right to hark back to that. I think that's a great point. But even then, I'll admit that my style is such that those patient interactions, even in the intensity of it, and and sometimes um, I'm not... I'm not the most administratively organized person and therefore sometimes those back-to-back clinics are the things that I need because it's the gaps that will break me, right? That's the thing that keeps me to time, that helps me to diary manage, right? That's the, it's sort of a makeshift industriousness that gets put into my diary. That juices me up, if anything. I'm, I'm sort of energized. Even the ch- challenge and the complexity, especially the, the patients that I've come to see, um, the, the complex second opinion work and, and the advanced practice triage work that I was doing the last time I was in the NHS, if anything, no, I, I don't necessarily have that that craving. I think one of the things that I do need to do is come back down from that, right? There's no, yeah. it's not always a probe. So it's slightly different. It's not that I need to do that to de-stress. I need to I need to come down from that because I'm extroverted at the 99th and half percentile anyway, and that sometimes that it's certainly not conducive to good sleep. It's not conducive mm-hmm. to to you know you don't, you don't need to burst through the door and be all giddy and hyper every time you come home. It's not appropriate. It depends what you're going out to do, um, and so sometimes that that need to just calm back down is that actually not necessarily as a matter of de-stressing, but just because there's almost that sort of heightened arousal that's going on. Yeah, there. you couldn't and keep that energy level up. Exactly, or it may not be pleasant for people around you. For you yeah, to keep that yeah, sense. absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, that, that, but and but I think that 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 is a. Uh, admittedly, when I've spoken to many others about this, you know, that, that's I am a bit of a rarer breed on that, really, compared to most, mm. and, and that's one of the reasons why they punted me their patients. <laughs> well, I mean, if if I go back and give you the do the, you the courtesy of answering your question a little bit more thoroughly, um, as to yes. do I think stoicism is relevant and necessary in healthcare, then yes, absolutely. Um, and I think through the nature of this conversation we've just had, for some of us, it's a natural state and stoicism may sometimes mean being calm. It may sometimes be understanding that you're the one that needs to raise the energy level to cope with the scenario. Um, but I would say that because for me, self-care is so much about self-knowledge, I would say have the insight as to how you function and understand exactly, the, as you just described, do you need to bring yourself down or on a different day when actually you've really had to uh, remain calm and suppress things, then, I don't know, go out and run, dance, punch something, punch a punch bag, not somebody, <laughs> something. There's this kind of, I don't know if you know this notion, Jack, of moving through the stress tunnel. It's It's an analogy for actually processing things that, you might stay in your body emotions and thoughts that if you don't if you don't process them might stay there and haven't heard that but I can yeah that that, that's deeper discussion for another time okay anything else to say on say on stoicism or have we done that one I suppose no it's been a really good way of going through that but I think what was interesting is that that didn't emerge as some sort of gotcha at the end of that initial podcast it's our first public conversation but also it was kind of that over the course of that time as well as on the on the back of private conversations that we'd had I, I kind of a penny dropped in me and I thought Ah, oh, this is my suspicion. It was a loaded question. My suspicion is that that Joe's very skeptical of stoicism, especially the the mask based, almost that the obligation that people's to go against their own instincts in order to retrofit this falseness that can be stoicism, and mm. and so it was kind of that that made me then I think blurt that out when we didn't have enough time mm. to cover it thoroughly was because it was something that actually you're right in our professions and across medicine you're kind of in this situation where stoicism is something that's sort of the the default 
and the mm. expectation um, and therefore dehumanizes people in many mm. ways when that's not close to what their natural characteristics might be. And so that falseness carries through and it's not good for patients either. And so you, you, I suppose you're one of the first people that I've, I've really noticed bravely prick at that. Mm. And, um, you know, whilst it certainly didn't wound me, I suppose one of the things I was wanting to put in there is that as long as it's not, you know, it's, it's, for some of us, it's, it's, not, it's not a mask. Mm. And in certain circumstances, I think it needs to, to keep its place. Yeah, and that's what I mean by the dance. You know, you, add, like I say, add a respect for the patient. A certain amount of stoicism is required, um, and then there's that letting out of yourself at the appropriate moment, and not in an uncontrolled way. You know, you know, I'm all about vulnerability and, and being authentic, but you you have a person in front of you, and they are in your care, and you've got to understand when and where. But then, out of respect for yourself, you need to to know what to deal with it afterwards, uh, how to deal with it afterwards. Mm. okay so if you move on to another topic topic um okay hand on heart when I first spoke to you I didn't expect that conversation to go well I didn't actually know a huge amount about you but I assumed that your your receptiveness for the stuff I wanted to talk about I didn't expect it to be as great as it was now you've in the introduction you've explained slightly how that came about but you know let's let's take both you and I to our extreme so you're a young male physio with a background of uh, a reputation for speaking your mind um you've you've been quoted in all sorts of ways of good bad indifferent I'm sure um I am a middle-aged female uh fairly quiet 20 years into my um career um fairly introspective uh with this with this interest in the let's call it the fluffy side of things it on paper that conversation should have gone really badly <laughs> so in your mind why didn't it it's a really good question i think the uh the sort of baseline openness that we both have and intrigue meant that it was kind of destined to at least go well enough for it to be polite. And that that's worth saying, right? You know, you're coming at something where we truly, both people truly wanted to understand each other better. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it went beyond that, where we kind of realised that there's a massive compatibility of values there. I think that uh, some of that, some of those stereotypes, unfortunately, just don't play out, especially in, in both of our cases. And I think that's worth us just flagging because sometimes they, they can be useful proxies if, in a moment. But generally, this is why you know stereotyping and, and pre- prejudice is not a smart move as, as if we needed to say it. But in this instance, it's something that I think there is, um, and especially when it comes to the public facing side of, of, of what we're often doing. Certainly, there's many hundreds now thousands of hours worth of my broadcasts and stuff that kind of mean that there's a cartoonish caricature um, of of me or people like me, and I understand some of it. And the big big thing I have to put in play is that I am confrontational, and that is a bit is bizarre to some, and it feels that that is something that they've never considered confrontation as a valuable professional tool or a, or a mechanism of education, and so. You know, obviously, I would defend that confrontation being not an aggressive confrontation Mm. or not a passive aggressive confrontation. But fundamentally, I'm confronting people with a difference of opinion. I'm confronting people with challenge in such a way that sometimes there's been, especially I've been in this, I've only been qualified 10 years. I've been broadcasting for seven. Right. That guy 
who on earth was I at three years qualified to challenge a professor on an on opposing view? Rarely my opposing view, by the way. It was like, here's your nemesis from Spain who disagrees with your research, right? You know, I'm that guy. I was the journalist coming at it as devil's advocate. And so mm-hmm. that confrontational style sometimes meant that people then painted it uh, as being more aggressive than it ever was. And so I think that sometimes has, has tarnished reputation to some extent, but I'd hope is a misrepresentation. So actually at the heart of it is a real well, how old is it? So thoughtfulness across the industry to try and raise standards. That's my entire project. Now it's broad rather than deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my project is to raise standards across MSK Healthcare and beyond, as well as those things that I've noticed that education is a core part of that. And so my whole shtick, really, the, the people of which I want to inspire to deliver quality care of course I care about their mental health and of course I I care about their well-being, that they avoid burnout, that they're enriched and rewarded by the profession or the industry at large. And so that's part of my project. Mm. And I think that people sometimes miss that because they sort of maybe wondered whether it was my way or the highway on a narrow clinical level. And that was my only interest, which is actually, no, it's the key vehicle for delivering quality care is other humans of which I care about their well-being. Yeah. And I think that's where you and I did realise there was huge crossover because essentially we're both about accountability you know, we both want this profession to move forward um but with the recognition that you that just isn't going to happen with burnt out overwhelmed clinicians and it's also not going to happen if we can't get over this defining of ourselves and move on from these circular discussions that just don't go anywhere and yeah. um, why do you think that is i mean you're okay you're someone who is happy to bring something out on the table and what, what I see when you talk Jack is that almost you're bursting you can't not let that question come out and if it comes out as conflict then maybe that's because of the the enthusiasm with which it's delivered and, and I hear that it's coming from a, a heartfelt place and a, a wish to to better things um but why why do you think that can't happen or doesn't happen in a positive way these kind of why do these conversations escalate to a point where either it becomes almost cartoonish on Twitter sometimes and becomes a, a sport to watch other people engage in it, yeah. or it just makes people retreat and think, I, I ain't getting involved in that? Yeah, well, it can be varied and it can, again, be quite specific to the individual cases. There's so often, like at least 50% of the time that we all witness that, there's often history. And yeah. like relevant background history and stuff and that people have been primed and even the interlocutors don't realize just how much those prior influences have colored that interaction in such a way that no one's getting the full context apart from them so that's one side of it but the big the big thing I've reflected on this lots over the years and and especially recently and I think that the big thing is that we've got these complex identities that, that blur the lines between personal and professional and that sometimes that's you know my, my whole that the sort of generalized appropriately you know, what I consider conversational liberalism to be that you criticize ideas not people but we understand that people have ideas and sometimes if your idea is so tethered to your personhood and you feel like actually your style of practice or a modality or a particular uh, training course philosophy that you went on that you got all the way to level five on right it's going to it's going to have its fingerprints over your personhood. Mm. And so should it really done well in healthcare. That's the funny thing, really. A quality clinician is starting to colour there. There isn't those crisp lines to me between personal and professional. And therefore, when an idea is criticised, critiqued, or even satirised at its, at its most lampoonish, you're kind of in that situation whereby it's going to wound. And so essentially, that's one of the things that I think provokes these circular arguments, or we don't make significant progress, or we have to go back over it again every couple of years, is because of that 
it, it becomes personalised by accident often, even by those that are trying to keep it as just being a sort of facts-based discussion, apparently. Mm, yeah, I mean, we're such, by our very nature and the reasons we went into these professions, we are sensitive human beings, aren't we? Probably more so than average. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I hear what you say about about the wound and also the personalisation and my my personal experience and what I see going on with others is that there's such um, such a tendency to hear something and as you say personalize it. So I think the language is so important. Um, if you hear a word, and, and I'm going to I'm going to challenge you on on, a, on the cowboy word um, right. that you've used it a couple of times, I think, and certainly yeah. in relation to COVID. I think last time was probably in relation to whether you. Um, opened your clinic or not during the last lockdown yeah. oh no it's to do with um, whether you made online a priority or not I think so an unquestionable um, fact in that that is the right thing to do um, but the word cowboy uh, and another one I hear a lot is charlatan um, I'm going to ask you what you meant by cowboy again just so I don't preempt it too much but Particularly charlatan, I hear that one loads. So there's a lot of charlatans out there. You hear that, don't you? And the definition actually does relate to. I didn't realise to um, purporting to have greater medical expertise. I didn't realise it was actually a medical term. Yeah. Um, so someone trying to pull the wool over um, somebody else's eyes, and that that's quite a personal attack. And, and it's it's often that word particularly is often used to almost. Um, demonize somebody in their whole being and there's a you know i love brenny brand so she she makes a distinction between exposing a wrong which might make someone feel shame and and quite rightly so because it makes them reflect and think okay yeah was i out of order there are my systems in place should i change it as opposed to you are something which is shaming someone as an individual and so before i get too deeply into that when you say cowboy, what did you mean in that context? Mm, well, can I go to charlatan first? Yeah, sure. Because there's a really relevant distinction between what I refer to as cowboys in the profession. That is a turn of phrase I use often. Mm. And charlatans, which I speak about less about, but typically there is a really relevant distinction there, is that charlatan, and you're right to look into it as being, it's a, it's a, it's a medical term for someone that is, is literally knowingly deceiving and lying to mm. patients. Right, and this is what's funny is that snake oil salesman is another phrase that's used. Is that the charlatans of old would sell snake oil as if to infer that this is a magic elixir? It is a knowing deception. Yeah. Whereas, and, and there's lots of out there in healthcare. Yeah, but typically, I, and certainly, I've never called someone a charlatan fortunately not had interactions with that and, and it's also just not something that interests me it's kind of that's the, the obvious stuff really is that there's sometimes things are just are just obviously misleading and, and people are knowingly peddling falsehoods and smirking if you caught them out they'd be the ones that said well i got away with it for a while right they're knowingly mm-hmm. deceiving whereas what i'm describing as cowboys is people that are and mavericks another word i use quite a lot and okay. um and so it's it's that people that feel that their sense of the world in medical terms or in evidence-based terms, their reading of an, an analysis of what is good is is so that they are right and everyone else is wrong. That their they do, their subjective opinion trumps 
any objective facts that might be emerging or that they don't feel that they need to be accountable to a counter narrative. They're not ones that want to get all the cards on the table because they know what hand they've been, they want mm. to deal, right? Mm. It's, it's that that I consider to be cowboys. And that can apply in policy. So it can be someone that just says, look, uh, I know, I know just how good these healing hands are, and and so I'm not keeping my patients away from these because that's cruel, right? They're not knowingly being deceptive, but they're also saying that all the public health advice, all the suggestions that people are having. Yes, she's suggesting that only urgent patients should be being seen. I mean, talking lo- lo- lockdown one sort of scenarios, right? When we mm. thought there was loads of surface transmission, and we thought this was the second coming of Ebola, right? We're in a situation where. There were people that perceived themselves and had such a high esteem of themselves based on subjective instinct that they weren't putting it through any sort of sensible lens, in my opinion, any rational analysis. That, for me, is a cowboy. Now, that can apply clinically as well. So that's someone of more policy and behavioral sense. But clinically, it's, something, it's, it's someone that is just like committed to manipulation and ultrasound of chronic low back pain of 20 years duration with complex biopsychosocial needs and that fundamentally their analysis is that that patient's just not seen me yet Mm. so there's an arrogance that comes from that and the cowboy the swaggering cowboy is that 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 person now it's not a personalized accusation so it's not certainly another thing you won't see me doing is then calling people as individuals cowboys right now this is where it's complicated because if someone i'm talking about my caricature cowboy and they recognize themselves in that, I don't take a lot of responsibility for it because it speaks to what we've mentioned before. I'm really bothered about accountability and mm-hmm. I find them to be un- unaccountable. They're not accountable to our regulator. They're not accountable to our chartered bodies uh, as, as uh, physiotherapists. They're not often accountable to us as professionals, fellow professionals, because we're in this stoic politeness that no one's challenged them forever. And there's loads of places to hide. So that's why I often bring that to life. Yeah, no, and, and it makes total sense. I, I would challenge back and say, is that person that you're describing genuinely going to hear that and go, oh, that's me? Yeah, I better reflect on that. Um, because, you know, if there is that, if there is that component within, um, l- let's be honest, there is that component within healthcare. And if it's large enough, how are we going to reach them? Because that is part of the problem and why we don't move on, isn't it? Because it's always there. Um, it's a position that's defended very strongly. And I, I'm not sure that those people do hear that stuff and then go, oh, yeah, actually, maybe that's me because it's just not in their nature. I, um, I suppose one of the things that's to be said is that when I'm the vast majority of my work isn't this, of course, right? So the, the, the educational standards and, and speaking into sort of conditions or, or, or all sorts of stuff that we try to do to educate. So that's the majority of my project. However, when I speak about that, I'm not necessarily trying to change the mind of the person that might recognize themselves in that or the ones that feel affronted by what I've said. It's highly unlikely to work and it also strategically would be unwise. However, that's not what I'm doing there. And also not how I see this as being my long game. I feel like essentially we raise standards and make it harder for those people to to hide. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm also sort of libertarian enough for me to feel like they, I would defend their right to be able to sort of spout that, especially because these aren't charlatans, right? These are people that believe that stuff. Their ability to sell their labor onto an open market for that, for for what I consider to be, you know, ill-informed, non-evidence-based practice, I actually would really defend their right to do it. In fact, locally, I've done in some instances, right? But it's something that, there is a real difference between them doing that and them corrupting otherwise legitimate evidence-informed professions and also them slipping the net of, of any sort of basic regulatory framework. 
under mm. the guise of professionalism. So it, there's, a, there's a massive difference there, and especially when it infiltrates the health service, because that's healthcare I'm paying for. So yeah. I do get a bit more passionate on a policy level when th- there is someone that is what I'm considering to be on the clinical level being a bit of a cowboy, is that if they're then doing so on the public purse, then I think it's only reasonable I have something to say about it. Yeah, and I, and I hear that you're talking more about being a big shining light or shining a light on best practice um, to the point where I guess the optimist um, would hope that eventually the most entrenched person is going to look up and go, mm, actually, maybe there's something in that. That look, yeah. Everyone seems to be saying the same thing. Maybe I should reconsider. I also, came, in, I also came into this because um, I know that it's not, we're not meant to be too biographical here, but it's just that I came into this where the, 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 the sort of norm of anyone that's sort of a public face in MSK was just doing that, was just shining a light on the good and hoping that then the shadow would cast large over the over the bad and that mm. would just raise standards automatically um it's it's the people that, that are all carrot no stick right mm. and i get it but I, I i just don't see the world that way and i think it's naive personally when people do i just don't i can understand favoring carrot to stick yeah i can yeah. understand shining a light on more good stuff than bad i do that i really try to and i try and balance that even on a week by week basis never mind over the course of a career but generally speaking i also feel that it's well worth um not pretending that it's somehow professional to let those people exploit patients Mm. and just yeah and just before we leave this topic I'm just mindful of another huge percentage of clinicians who are doing a great job but because of their sensitivity um, and perhaps their their own nature would hear some of that stuff and overly identify with it and assume that it was them when it isn't um, and I think that speaks to a lot of what I'm about, about building people up, making them actually recognise their worth and stop undervaluing themselves and realising that actually if they can have the confidence to step up, step up and get involved in conversations, it will only support what they're doing. And, you know, yeah, there, there will be things to to develop and improve. But, you know, I think we need to be careful of, um, yeah, this kind of almost endemic underconfidence. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I worry about that too, and I also worry that um that there's no there's no version, there's no authentic version of my message that can sometimes cut through, and therefore I try and now approach it with a little help from my friends, which is exactly why we're working with you, Joe, and others. <laughs> right? So there are better better suited messengers to that because mm. there's something about the style, there's something about the confidence that that you know is is that um, <laughs> there is. This isn't a front, right? There is a, I have a genuine pathologically high self-esteem uh, that some would argue is arrogance, right? And that that, that confidence that, that, that I have, um, especially around things that I've thought very long and hard about, is something that I can't necessarily just park for a second and come no. across as a bit of a, a bumbling ditherer because that's just not me authentic. And and that that means that I can't necessarily be, no matter how I might try and rework it, an authentic messenger of that that could help someone that's in that position you're describing, which is very common. And therefore, that's why I'm trying to give a platform and always trying to hand the microphone over to those that can cut through on that, that know that there's no aggro to my message, that there's nothing that's overtly confrontational for the sake of aggression. And I think that that's how I'm having to tactically deal with it is because um, that is a massive problem. And it's also one of the reasons why, not just in, in this project with you, but also with, with others in our network, is that we are simply a 
platform in which we can share further ideas and they're very rarely our own ideas you know it's actually championing what I call the actual experts in the room that have got deep knowledge rather than my my broad interest and I think I think that's that's where I'm, I'm tactically trying to go but then when I, it doesn't mean that I'm not really aware and really conscious of that problem mm. it just means that sometimes um, I haven't necessarily got the the tools to deal with that without completely corrupting some of the other things that I do feel passionate about you know it's sort of the the trade-off I have waded up and unfortunately for some people who disagree that that's a smart balance I've decided to still go with what we're doing. Mm, Actually and you've led me beautifully into another question I wanted to ask you which is so you've said a couple of times that I don't know if you're referring to professional friends or friends outside um, of MSK but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my interpretation was that a couple of friends had sort of gone, oh, Jack, you know, heard you talking to Joe a few times, are you doing Wellbeing Wednesday? What's that about? How does that fit with the rest of what you do? And you know, feel free, Jack, to turn the table a little bit. And, um, you know, if that exposes some concern, cynicism, um, head scratching around my side of things, then, yeah, what were those conversations, if you if you don't mind sharing? No, it's a good point. Yeah, there, there are sections of our audience that that um, are really into the, their least favourite things getting pointed out, and therefore they they are into the aggro, the confrontation, the setting up a box of popcorn and watching something play out pretty fastly on Twitter. Right? They are the people. They're the they're the saddles that rubberneck at car crashes, right? And that's the um, professional equivalent of which we have. And to some extent, my work has served them in many different ways over the years, depending on, the, you know, funnily enough, it often confronts them as well. You know, they, 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 it gets turned on them. So mm. they sometimes regret being as into it as they are. But sometimes that's one of the things that changes their mind when they're of that disposition. Now, that that's their because that's the sort of corner of my work that they've paid a lot of attention to. They've maybe sometimes missed the subtext or they've skipped over the ones they didn't fancy. But generally speaking, the, the sort of individualised personal um, interest that we, we try to have and apply to functional rehabilitation on a patient level, but also thinking about the clinician not necessarily overburdening themselves with any narrow sense of responsibility. I don't know how they've missed that bit, but if they've missed that subtext, they thought that the work that me and you have been doing is something that is wishy-washy, fluffy, and and, uh, a a phrase that you've then brought to my life that I'll never forget now, which is too much sandals and candles, right? (laughs) I just think it's fantastic. Now, that for me, again, was a a misreading from a corner of our audience, of which actually my response, which was not dissimilar to that, was one that they then said, no, that's a fair point, actually. Yeah, you know, the, the, the utter, utter far, you know, the big picture, of course, why wouldn't it include that? And, and they, they agreed with those principles, of course, because I'm proud of how thoughtful our audience are, but I think instinctively, yes, that that's how they responded, some of them, and even friends, yeah. But but then also, um, I think that this, this there is an element that, um, I mean, you personally don't need to defend, but needs to be defended of the corner of the industry of which you speak, is that unfortunately there is a lot of uh, woo that can infiltrate um, and, uh, and and sort of pseudoscience and, and some some over, you know, that's the sort of a, a new age spirituality that kind of comes to it that people get a bit of an aversion to uh, because of the fact that it feels like, 
we, you know, there's been a long-standing frustration of the fact that we've been too much down and out in the subjectivity and, and not hard enough towards some sort of fact-based, evidence-based, objective discussion. Mm-hmm. So that, that it feels like people are worried about a drag back to anything goes mentality. Yeah. People's feels are all that matters. And, and, and that's kind of something that admittedly does, um, it certainly encroaches into the self-care work more than it does into physics and maths. Do you see what I mean? If I polarise those two things, you know, mm-hmm. statistics is, is one thing that people get carried away on, but sometimes so is this notion of of, of uh, they're there patting each other on the on the back and saying that you you do you you know I think there is sometimes something that needs to be defended there yeah and I, I think it does need defending and you know I'm really pleased that the conversations come round to this point and exposed it because it's a deep discomfort for me um, or it it can be if I don't work it through properly so I when I went off to train as a coach I. I was at a point where I did consciously want to move away from my clinical world for a little bit. Um, there was kind of a build-up to it, which we can go into another time. But um, so I, I almost immersed myself in this um, coaching world, albeit with um, yeah, mostly lawyers and doctors, actually. So there wasn't a lot of sandals and candles going on there. <laughs> um, and collectively, we all sort of um, went through our cringe and and forced ourselves to go into this world which was totally different to to our normal professional world um and then I almost came out of it again and started to think about you know, does this have relevance to physiotherapy and healthcare in general and there, there's all sorts of things um there's a language that if you're not careful you can start to pick up and it's really off-putting and you and I've the, you've had a cheering over session about aspects of that um but you also if you're not careful, you do start to drift into this, oh, I don't need to explain anything as long as I can make an inspiring quote and have an opinion which sounds persuasive, then then that's enough. And to be honest, there's still lots of that um, concern within me. But I'm so passionate this, that this the sensible side of this stuff gets into healthcare so that clinicians are well and supported and as brilliant as they can be that I'm determined to find a way to make it acceptable. Um, Some of it is about language, but I've been thinking more recently about objective measures. So if you take coaching, for example, what you're trying to do is affect behaviour change. You're not just teaching someone intellectual concepts because nothing will change. They'll learn a few new words and ideas and phrases. But what you actually want to see is that they behave differently in a way that then benefits them and ultimately their patients as well. And I don't think at the moment that's being measured. So life coaching, for example, is um, when you're asked to describe it to a client, you'd say, well, in essence, you're taking someone from a situation that they're not happy with and you're trying to move them into a situation they are happy with. And there's, I think one of the things that's really important about it to make it effective is that it's specific to the individual. So if I'm working with a clinician, then the the beauty of that relationship is that I understand their world and we can keep bringing things back and making it relevant. Um, There's an efficiency to having someone hold a mirror up to you and almost work you through what could otherwise be a really laboured rumination process. And you might get to the other side, but it could take you months or years. Whereas having someone actually go, look, look at this let's really look at this as it is you know, no bullshit this, this is what's going on what should we do about it and then the final thing is accountability someone actually checking have you done anything have you changed 
but you know you're, you're absolutely right to raise these things and you know I think the next thing I want to look at really closely is this objective measure. how do we actually measure whether there has been behavioral change individuality confrontation the mirror yeah and accountability come responsibility right that's why we ultimately get on of course we do. <laughs> but it's just that one of the things that 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 done badly what the thing that i was saying needs defending is that 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 it's this pseudo profundity that one size fits all that we mm. can that we can that the best of the best of that side of the industry can be put on a poster with a nice sunset yeah. and that that's going to be all right Yes, these things can sometimes move us, but that's that's how art can move us. That's how a piece yeah. of music can move us, which is definitely relevant and interesting, especially the physiology of it. You know, the shivers down your spine when you but hear Which bit of music. art? Which bit of music? Fascinating. <laughs> but it's like the specificity matters when it comes to something that we're trying to apply. And it's like that's that's where the good is. And it's something that it's the generalities that are irritating because admittedly that's the thing that applies across the clinical stuff that i'm involved in the policy stuff that i'm involved in it's like it's the lack of thoughtfulness it's not being put through several different lenses several different filters and being moved around the cards aren't being put on the table to to overuse my analogy it's Mm. that generally speaking this 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 over assumption that it's all going to be all right because this is the way and that that these um that if only you if only you were meditating that bit more, if only you were being more mindful, if only you were you were suppressing that emotion and elevating this one, as if there is this this cookie cutter approach to mm-hmm. it, which we know that the richness and individuality of of any given clinician, patient, person, leader, it, it's like that. That's what kind of irritates me and many is that there's this notion that there's a right and wrong, that there's some sort of binary there mm-hmm. that's not integrated. And and what you've just spoken to there is exactly how and why I'm interested in in your work is because you you puncture that you take what is what is good of it you've you've tidied it up uh, where you've taken what is good of it and 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 cleansed it of some of the some of the the, the real wishy-washy stuff that just doesn't seem to suit and fit especially in our profession within or within our industry within therapists is that these are often an, an interesting characteristics amongst them right you know there's interesting dispositions that, that have self-selected into it where there is a sunny optimism and an activeness and, and things like that that isn't always a front it's that then sometimes they're just a little skeptical to the fact that they are being sort of calmed down artificially by that mm. pseudo profundity that i mentioned yeah and, and a real danger which we talked about before of drifting into a kind of slightly doer heavy feeling you know if we all just share our um our unhappiness then that's the way through and you know sometimes it's got to be uncomfortable and and really you know really quite difficult and you you, because you will not get change unless you really look in that mirror but sometimes it can be utterly joyful and for me the ultimate aim of moving the people and the profession on that that's where the the attraction is for me and you know that isn't a sad um heavy concept that's fantastic we, and there's, some, there's plenty of lessons that we definitely shouldn't learn from corporate business, but one of them that is is brilliant is that the act of non-execs being in boardrooms, right? These are people that are outside of an organisation that are then literally there to hold a mirror up now and again, and that's their mm-hmm. only job, right? They, they, they're in a position where they're, they're just being paid to consult and almost being encouraged to be kind of aggressive with their analysis sometimes. Now, the style of it's sometimes far more aggro than, than needs be in this context, but it's kind of that they've learned the lesson that sometimes those external forces, external voices that need to be come in, but, but still there's a massive difference between that just being an oppositional critique, and that's someone that is in the organisation that cares deeply about it 
but he's there to sort of appropriately and professionally problematize. And mm. sometimes we just don't have that chance to be able to do that internally. It's not sometimes even healthy or we've got the time to sort of really scrutinize ourselves in that way. Whereas done compassionately in a caring manner, that's good coaching for me, is that that uh, that analysis that's sort of thorough, that's that's appropriately paced, um, which only a specialist can do, um, is, is a really useful way of, as you mentioned, holding up a, holding up a mirror and, and offering that opportunity for self-improvement in a non-judgmental fashion. Mm. Well, Jack, I'm aware of time, as usual, when you and I talk, it's, it's racing on. Um, but what a brilliant conversation to start with. And, and it's done exactly what I hoped it would, which is set the scene for um, really thorough and, and I think brave conversation. I think we've gone to some places that um, got a little bit uncomfortable occasionally, hopefully not so, too yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what's funny is that we, we tend to, uh, we tend to um, as ever, we, we find ourselves even on areas that that, that they're edges um we've, we find ourselves agreeing more because we at least understand each other's perspective and i think that that's the proxy for um our patient facing work as well as this this work mm. that you're doing is helping people to realize that when we get the detail out then it turns out that there's far more overlap than distinction and yeah that's and one of the things that that is useful is because the, the individual individuality matters but generally speaking i think that there's uh, there's an opportunity for for people to really recognize themselves in some of this stuff and to pursue it further with you and your work and the project and the podcast and all the stuff we're going to be creating around it is to just help people feel supported but not drown Yes. You know, it's a, there's a there's a there's a balance there uh, to be found, and, and you're really doing that at the at the moment. And I'm so proud and pleased to be working with you on it. So thanks for thanks as ever for this and and for all you do. Oh, it's a pleasure and mutual. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, and I hope if you're listening to this and um, you've enjoyed the conversation, then please listen to more. But equally, you know, if you if you've got something to say and you're someone that thinks, oh God, you know, I don't ever want to be a podcast guest, come on, because you know, as as hopefully Jack and I have just shown, you can really get through some good stuff and it doesn't need to be um unbearably <laughs> uncomfortable. You will get I'll get you to a good place. I'll look after you. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's uh, it's one of the things that's the, a big challenge of the platform that you've taken to far quicker than than I did. You know, this is the amount of broadcasts I've done over seven years, but but the way in which you that, that comfort uh, that you're able to to bring forward in your in your guests is, is fantastic. And so I do encourage anyone to to get on the microphones. You, you'd be surprised just how much you've got to offer, especially if you've given any thought to these issues, no matter where you are on that journey. Uh, me and Joe have been honest on other shows before and chewing it over uh, on our on my daily show about the fact that essentially this is not us pretending or professing that we're all polished and we've got it all together. You know, it's not that uh, we're all on this journey. Uh, but I think that sometimes that that uh, disposition to sort of just have that have that bottled up and it shouldn't be therefore talked about is not one that's smart, especially in these complex times. And so, yeah, please do engage with you, Matter, and any of the other work we're doing. Thank you. So, Jack, you've done a little bit of it there but you're always very um kind and invite people to let the viewers know if there's or their listeners know if there's anything going on but i mean you've all got loads going on but is there anything particularly you want to let people know about at the moment with physio matters or during over or anything else yeah i mean this i won't reel them all off because yeah there's always that 10 on going quite a lot <laughs> Yeah, but of course, there's the Physio Matters podcast is now a network of which you can subscribe to the main feed at Physio Matters um, at TPM Podcasts across social media. But also, as this podcast and others are going to be part of that network, then only occasionally certain shows will be boosted on that, almost like it's a radio feed. And so, please do find the individual shows that you like. Don't just take one of every four episodes. You know, subscribe to You Matter, to Massage Matters, to the At Your Cervix podcast, as well as our business show that we've just done with Rob Bevan. So, there's lots of different um, things there 
that you can get onto. That's why it would be a list. But the big thing for us is just making sure that we reach as many people that want to be reached. And so Therapy Live is the other big avenue for that. So make sure you're uh, uh, tuned in for Therapy Live. Big show going to be going off in June. Uh, as well as smaller shows throughout the year. And so uh, make sure you pay attention to that as being a sub-project of Physio Matters, and, and that's the, probably the, the main ones. I'm at Jack A. Chew on Twitter. That's the main social media I use personally, but also my Chewing It Over show goes out everywhere, uh, every day <laughs> at 12.30. <laughs> yeah, lots of stuff to engage with. Brilliant. Thank you so much once more, Jack. It's been, uh, it's been really good fun. Nice one. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Take Well, thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation between Jack and I. As I expected, there were some areas of slight disagreement, but I'm really pleased that we were able to go there, pick them apart. And of course, as is often the case, find some areas of common ground. On the next episode of the podcast, I'll be interviewing Dr. Adam Harrison on the subject of professional identity. And that's such a big topic that I suspect it might be one of many episodes. So I really hope you'll be able to join me for that conversation. In the meantime, take care. See you soon. Mm -hmm.